0: encouraged already by being here, and uh, thank you for having us. We're a little ways from home, uh, and just so we clarify a couple of things, when we say King's Mountain compared to you, it's really just a little bitty molehill. You know, people are like, oh, you live at the base of a mountain. You wouldn't call it that if you saw it, right? It is really small, but uh, the Battle of Kings Mountain did take place there, and uh, at first, when we first moved there, we thought the Chamber of Commerce was making up some things, you know, to get people to come to the city. But it really was the turning point of the Revolutionary War. So we love, Pastor. Neer. Your pastor and I have been friends for <clears throat> that long, and it's uh, <laughs> a really long time. Uh, went to college together, uh, and uh, so we're we're grateful for that. And uh, it's one of the interesting things about being in college together with people is for the most part, you don't get to see them a lot because we're in ministries, and those things just don't have to cross paths um, a lot with that. And then they came back. You came back and were on staff at Ambassador, didn't you? Yeah, you were gone. That's what I thought. And uh, so I can still see little things of him around the campus from time to time. I'm like, Rick did that. So anyway, that's a, that's a place. So it's great to be with you here um, today. This is my wife, Lisa. All right. Uh, Just a little bit about us. Oh, there is a clock there. That's good. Uh, My people would be very nervous if there was not a clock back there somewhere to remind me, right? Uh, We have four children and 14 grandchildren, and uh, yes, we are very blessed. Uh, Two of them are in the incubator currently, but that would make 16, right? We have 14, two coming, January and March. Yes, so that'll make us 16, and you're like, man, man. She does not look old enough to be that. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. We got married really, really young. Okay, how about that? But anyway, um, good to be here. Take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1, if you would, please. James chapter number 1. I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I want to ask you a question that you can contemplate. How many of you are ever tempted? (laughs) You're like, are you joking or something? (laughs) Right? It's like... Uh, yes, all of us are, right? And so what I want to look at this morning, and, and tonight as well, we'll look at a little bit different aspect of it. Um, pastor's gone, but we're still going to have services tonight, Okay, just so you know that. But anyway, uh, I want to look at the anatomy of temptation. Okay, Now, the word anatomy means a separating or dividing into parts for detailed examination. Okay, So what does a temptation look like? Because every single one of us in this room, including myself, we run into temptation. And how we handle that makes a big difference. Matter of fact, what we believe makes a difference. What's happening in Israel right now is because of belief systems. That, that's what's impacting that. So what we believe makes a difference, and God's Word uh, is important as we think through that. Now, I love how one author put this, "...there is a war being waged for a believer's soul." Now, if you know Christ is your Savior this morning, the enemy cannot take your soul to hell, but he would love to destroy your soul. He would love to just absolutely decimate you. And we are at war from that standpoint. And we know that the Bible talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three aspects of temptation. We are just going to concentrate this morning on our flesh. In other words, what happens from within us. The battleground of us is our inner man. That is our heart, our mind, our will, our emotions. And what we do and say with those things are really, really important. Um, every one of us in this room has sinful tendencies. I want you to read our text with us. James chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Let no man say when he is tempted... Okay, that word tempted there means a solicitation to evil. Now, in the New Testament, the word tempted can mean a trial or a solicitation to evil. Okay, and it's important because James actually uses those two words in this text. The first is a trying of your faith, okay? The other is a solicitation to evil. That's the word here, okay? He says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man, okay, how many, does that include everybody in this room? Right, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The enemy is powerful. And he wants to destroy our hearts and lives. Now in the context of James chapter one, James says to us in verse thirteen, "Let no man say when he is tempted, I, I am tempted of God." And the larger context, what happens? Well, if you go back to the beginning of the chapter, God tells us that we can be notice verse two, my brethren, count all joy when you fall into divers or various types of temptations. Okay, that temptation is difficulty, not a solicitation of evil. What James is clarifying here is, listen, God does not solicit us to do evil, but God can bring things into our life to try us. Okay, go on with the text. He says, but let patience... I'm sorry, knowing this, verse 3, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Then he talks about let patience have her perfect work, and he goes through the text of Scripture. Okay, so what was happening is some of these believers were saying this. Well, I had this difficulty come into my life where God was trying me. Okay? He wasn't tempting me to evil, but He was trying me. And I responded to the trial wrongly, and that's God's fault. And James says, no. You cannot blame God for this because we're tempted of our own lust and enticed. Okay? We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, later on. Okay, um, God is untemptable. And God is not going to tempt us with evil. That's very important as we work through this, okay? What can change a trial into a temptation is the attitude with which we meet it. And we fail the trial when we turn to blaming God for the trial. Now, is life tough? It is. We live in a sin cursed world. Every time we turn around, it seems like difficult things are happening. And part of that is just because, by the way, part of it is sometimes we make mistakes. We bring on difficulty on ourselves. Part of it is we just live in a world that is difficult uh, to live in. So yes, there is difficulty here, but how we respond to that as believers makes a huge difference. And James is reminding them, don't blame God. What happened when you responded negatively to a trial was from within yourself you were tempted to sin in that difficulty okay that's really important kind of we lay the background all right so if we could boil everything down to this text we would say this we must recognize that sin comes from within us but we can say no now you say well that's not only where where sin comes i got that that's what we're going to concentrate on today all right so let's look at number one what i've called the explanation let's just kind of work through the text And talk about what it means, and then we'll kind of expand it a little bit later on. All right? The word tempt in our text here means to entice to improper behavior. All right? And we we probably already knew that. Above all, the devil works in this way. Hence, he is called the tempter. Okay? So he wants to solicit to evil. That's what he wants to do. All right? The word drawn away carries the idea of being dragged away. It was with the connotation of a initial reluctance, maybe we're like, I don't want to do that, but we're taken in tow, if you will, by our own desires. In other words, our heart temptations will pull us in a certain direction because that's our propensity to do that. All right? And then he says our own. We're drawn away of our own. That is ours. It's not between the types of desire, but it's the sources of the temptation. In other words, we have ourselves to blame because we're tempted by that. You're like, okay, wh- wh- what do you mean? Well, in our world today, we have people that are blaming fast food restaurants because they're overweight, right? So we've got, we've got people in the government saying, well, we need to outlaw Biggie Fries. Well, can, can I just tell you, that's not going to solve the problem, right? this is, Regulation like that is not going to solve the problem, all right? So what's happening is we have a desire to eat, Right? Because when you get to the restaurant, you don't have to order the Biggie fries, right? That's your choice, isn't it? Now, if you believe that you don't have a choice, yikes, right? You do have a choice. You don't have to order the fries at all. You can be miserable in life and not eat fries at all, <laughs> right? Okay, but we we do have a choice about that, all right? So the temptations are tailored to us as an individual. Now this is important. We believers must never belittle another person for struggling with something else. When we look at someone and go, "Are you serious? Like you struggle with that?" Well, what are we saying? Well, that's not our what someone called a designer lust. Okay, so so you may not be tempted with X, and I may be. And you may say, well, I can't believe, I mean, I can't believe you struggle with that. And I may be able to say to you, well, I can't believe you struggle with that. What's happening is, well, the devil uses what we are tempted with. Okay, let me give you another quick illustration. If you want to tempt me, then a double hamburger with bacon and a large fry would be the way to go, okay? If you put a bowl of spinach in front of me, I'm not tempted in the least. It takes zero self-resistance to tell you no. All right? You're like, well, would you hurt my feelings? That would be your fault as well. <laughs> you shouldn't have put salad in front of me. That's what I'm saying. I- I'm kidding. Some of you are like, oh, we don't know this guy. It's okay, you know? In other words, that's not my temptation, okay? Now, my mother, to put a hamburger in front of her is like, ugh. And I've said to her at times, Mama, you have to eat protein. You're... You, This is not good if you're not eating any protein. And she's like, I do. And I'm like, yeah, one bite doesn't equal enough protein for you, right? So that's in a food area. And we we could talk about all kinds of areas as we work through this. Then he uses the word lust in our text. Okay. And this word is a desire. Now, there are two types of desires. There is something which is forbidden. In other words god's law makes it very clear you cannot do this then there's something which is okay to do but it can become what the word of god calls inordinate it's an unjust desire okay so it's, it's good in its surface but we can make it so big that it becomes wrong for us so 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 illustration right is it wrong for us to be immoral outside the marriage bonds It is. God makes that very clear, right? There's no question about that. God's Word says it. Like, well, that's not what people believe today. Doesn't really matter what they believe, because God's Word, let God be true and every man a liar. We, We don't have a choice about that, okay? Is food bad? No, it's not. But can it be inordinate? Can it be wrong the way we apply it? It can be, okay? So those are the two directions when we talk about lust. It refers to an intense longing of an improper object or a proper object. In other words, it becomes something that gets in the way of my pursuit of God. Okay? So anything that gets in the way of my pursuit of God is wrong. That's really important. There are good things that aren't wrong in of themselves, but if they get in my way of pursuit of God, then they're wrong. And I have to give them up. You're like, well, the Bible didn't say it. Well, okay, maybe the Bible didn't directly tell you to give that up, but if that is becoming a resistance to you pursuing God, we need to give it up. And that's what James is talking about here. It's our own lust, our designer lust. Then he uses the word enticed. What does the word enticed mean? Well, all of you know what this word means if you think about it, right? It's to lure by the use of bait, to arouse someone's interest in something. The idea is it's an unsuspecting victim. They don't know it's a bait. Okay. Now, as a boy, I grew up in South Florida. Okay. Um, I've caught bluegills. Do you guys know what bluegills are? Okay. I've caught bluegills that are the size of my double hands. Okay, on a cane pole out of Lake Okeechobee. All right. They're they're not there anymore because the lake's probably been fished out, but it's just fun, right? But even if you're fishing for some of those things, how you hook the bait makes a difference. Now, what I love to fish with is crickets. And the best way to hook a cricket is to hook it so that it looks like it's there by itself and no hook. Right? So... If you want to hook a cricket, the best thing to do is take it right up underneath its throat and come out the back end of it, and it looks like a cricket, and it will actually flutter in the water. Well, guess what a fish thinks? That looks good, and I think I'll have lunch. And when he hits it, I say, I think I will have lunch, right? Because what happens? Well, he doesn't know that there's a hook there, and boom, we set the hook, we bring it to shore, and what he thought was a good thing ends up destroying him. Right Because now he's filleting in a pan. right? That's what happens. I'm sorry if you're an animal lover and you okay. you could, you could, bring, you could bring be like my grandmother, she's like, I have, one of my daughters has a farm, and so they're raising cattle and chickens and all this, and what, what on a farm, what do you do that for? You, you do that to eat them. So my mother-in-law will say, "Oh, don't eat that little pretty cow. Go to the store and buy your meat and you're like Somebody's cow's in the store, right? But anyway, um, I digressed. all right? I love my mother-in-law, by the way. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) so when our sinful desires and our supersized legitimate desires motivate us to choose what we want apart from God, then we sin. I want this, and it doesn't matter what, God says, I'm going to have it anyway. So in other words, one person says it this way. A person both builds and baits his own trap. Okay, now, now, we know intuitively that that's kind of dumb, isn't it? To build and bait your own trap. But that's exactly what James is trying to get us here. We're drawn away of our own lusts and enticed. See, many sinful actions begin as casual thoughts. But we dwell on them, and they can turn minor temptations into major transgressions. Now, just think about it a little bit. And Satan wants us to do that. Okay, now he keeps going. and I, I know I'm being a little technical, but stick with me, all right? Then he says, he uses the word conceived here. When lust hath conceived, that, that's the idea of bringing forth a child. Okay, sin is born just as a child is born. But it bringeth forth. What does it bring forth? It brings forth death, doesn't it? That, that's what he says in this text, right? Um, and when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Death. That's what's happened. When it brings to completion, sin gives birth to death, both physically and spiritually. So when we yield to a temptation, we ultimately are dying. That's what happens. Now, most of us don't start a temptation by saying, you know what, I think I'm going to do this just one time, But ultimately, a few years from now, I'm going to be so entrapped by this sin that it'll destroy my wife, my life, it'll destroy my family, and this is going to be a good thing. Most people don't start that way. By the way, the devil doesn't do that, does he? I mean, you never see someone in an ad for some vice and it looks bad. It always looks great, right? The the guy standing there with alcohol in his hand, he looks great. I mean, he's fit. He's happy. He's got a pretty girl on his side. The party atmosphere is there. Nobody would ever put a picture of a guy with throw-up all over him in the bottom of a ditch. Right? Because who who wants that? Yeah. But those of you that have been around that, isn't that what it ends up with many times? Or, or, or worse, right? But the devil doesn't want to do that. The wages of sin is death. Right? The wage of sin is death. By the way, don't you love the second part of that verse? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, can I tell you, you don't have to stay in your sin. The cross of Jesus Christ paid for that sin completely holy, and you can accept Him, and He will in no wise cast you out. What a wonderful truth that is, okay? So that's the explanation, all right? Now, let's let's look at number two here, the example. We're not going to take the time to turn there, but if you wanted to, you could go all back to Genesis chapter 3. Okay, what happens in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it's the very first sin. Okay. Satan was present here, and what does he do? Well, he says to Eve, Hey, how about we just take a bite of this? Okay. Now, don't miss this. Okay. How many rules did Adam and Eve have? One. One. Okay? So whenever someone tries to convince you, well, if we had less rules, I would. No, you wouldn't. You can't get any less rules than one. right? I mean, God says there's an abundant garden here. You just can't eat of this one tree. That's it, just one. What'd they do? They ate of it. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this, so please understand. I'm not I'm not trying to go beyond the Bible. But I wonder, what was Eve even doing there? What was she doing there? By the way, I think this is a good principle that we shouldn't even be anywhere near sin. You may say, Well, our Pastor, or Pastor Rick, you can't tell me that standing right here is wrong. Well, no, technically, I mean, I can't tell you that standing on the edge of this platform is wrong. But why would you? Why would you do that if knowing this fall, let's say this fall was 300 feet, why would you do that? And sometimes people react to the fact that we say, hey, get away from the cliff, and you're like, I can stand on the cliff if I want to. It's not that we think the cliff per se is technically sin. We know what's coming We don't want you to be there, right? Well, I wonder, why was she even there? You're like, well, how do you know she was close to it? She ate of it. Like, she had to be close, right? Last time I checked, if you're picking something off a tree, you got to be pretty close to it. right? So she was somehow there. What was Eve's root problem? Eve's root problem was unbelief. She didn't believe what God said. And what does the devil do to her? Yea, hath God said. If we were to put it in our modern day English, we would say, are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure that's what he meant? Uh, w- wait a minute. This is always true, dear people. This is always true. Satan is a liar. He's an accuser. Satan will accuse you to you, what do you mean by that? You ever beat yourself up for something? You ever said or hurt or something said, man, if I was a Christian, I wouldn't be doing yeah, that's the devil. He's accusing you to you. He's accusing you to God. He's saying God, you, God, you really you redeemed that person? Really? Did you see what they just did? He's accusing God to you, really? Your God is that way? If God really loved you, he would do. It's exactly, he does that all the time. Just know something. When he opens his mouth, he's lying. Whatever he whispers to you, he's lying, immediately. You're like, "Well, I mean, like, you know, part of part of Genesis chapter 3, he says the truth. Do you want part truth? Do, do you do you want Part good cake and part poison cake? Like, how much does it take for us to be destroyed by that? (laughs) It doesn't take much, right? By the way, I have a little acrostic for sin. All right, It may help you if you want to just jot this down. S-I-N, sight. What does the Bible say? She looked at it. Interest. She saw that it was a tree desired to make one wise. At least that's what she thought. And then to keep it with the N, she nabbed it. Okay, she took it. You're like, why didn't you use took? Because S I T spells sit, not sin. Okay, I'm just saying. That's just practically there, okay? All right, so sight, interest, nab. That's what. Now, that happens throughout God's Word. I mean, you take biblical story after biblical story after biblical story, you have this same pattern, okay? I don't know if you're allowed to do this, but we'll do it anyway, right? Pastor sitting down there. All right. What are some Bible stories that you think immediately, oh that story would be sight interest now? What are some of the stories? David and, David and Bathsheba, right? What did he do? He saw. He inquired of her and then he took her. Sight interest now. What else? Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Okay, what's that? Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Yeah, Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Except in that case it was in Potiphar's wife. That's right. He ran from it, right? Yep, yeah, excellent. Good. You remember the story of Achan? Achan was in uh, battle, and the Bible says that he saw a Babylonian garment and he thought that it would make him special, and then he took it, hid it in his tent. What ended up happening from that? Well, other men's lives cost him, and it cost him his life, and so forth, sight, interest, Now We could go on and on and on. It's right there every time. So when you have, when you're looking at something and your own desires are tempted... And you've got an interest in it, just know you're close. You're close to that sin. And now you're going to be in danger. Let me give you some encouragement about this. Take you should know, you should know what your designer lust is. You should know what that is. What is it that the devil goes to you for every time? Now you don't have to tell me, but you should know it. You should know whether or not when X happens, you, you tend to get, let's say, discouraged or in despair. You tend to spiral out of control. You tend to be fearful. You tend to be anxious. You tend to do this. You tend to do whatever it might be. You need to identify that. If you say, don't really care to identify it, can I just lovingly say to you that if you're not going to identify it, you're not going to get victory over it? You have, you, have to, you have to identify it. So when you identify it, Ask yourself, okay, who in the Bible represents my designer lust? Who in the Bible? Well, did they give in to it? What was the result? Did they resist it? And if so, how? And what was the result? Okay, let's just take two stories we mentioned. David. Did David resist his designer lust? He did not. Results? Yeah. Death Death of all kinds of people, absolute havoc in the kingdom. I mean, it was a mess. Right? Joseph, did he resist? Absolutely. Result. Blessings. Testimony. Leadership. I mean, on and on it goes. Now, did that happen immediately? Immediately, what happened? He went to jail. Can I just tell you, the preachers that tell you, you do right and everything's going to be just perfectly fine are not biblical. But sometimes you do right and it gets rougher. Some, sometimes you do exactly what God wants you to do and it doesn't turn out quote unquote right. Sometimes it gets hard. It just does. You're like, thanks. <laughs> but it's true. All right? I can tell you that in eternity it's going to be okay. Ultimately, it's going to work there. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time here because I know we're getting late. But number three, let's talk about the enslavement. So, what happens when you give in to sin is ultimately that sin can lead to enslavement. All right? Uh, Someone's called it voluntary slavery. Right. Let me read a little bit of a lengthy section here from one writer. He says this, It may seem strange, but James warned his dear brothers and sisters who were to read this genealogy, conceived, brings forth sin, not to be deceived or led astray, just as a right response to trials can result in growth to full spiritual maturity, so a wrong response to lust will result in decline, to abject spiritual poverty, and ultimately to death itself. Now, what's the difference between mature believers and immature believers? Mature believers are tempted to sin. I don't care how mature you get in Christ, you will always be tempted to sin. We have a sinful flesh. And mature believers do sin. I want to ask you how many of you sinned this week? I happen to already know the answer. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, <laughs> hello. Um, yeah. But mature believers are not dominated by sin. We don't allow sin to dominate us. They know how to handle trials and temptations, and they grow through them, right? But sin, if left unchecked, becomes an enslavement. Classic biblical story is Samson. Samson could not control his flesh. Couldn't control his eating. Couldn't control his women. And ultimately... He stood grinding at a millstone while people laughed at him, because sin had bound him to the point that he made no sense. Why would you keep going back to a woman that's trying to kill you? Because he never could get control of his lust, that's why. And it's important. This book is critical for us. As believers, we only have one book that describes our situation, prescribes the way out, and promises great rewards in both this life and next if we do what's right. God will help us. This is why it's critical to be daily in the Word. I'm sure that your pastor emphasizes that. You've got to be in God's Word every single day. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2 says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. God, you can you can, you can, can read God's word, you can be in church and listen, but if it's not mixed with faith, God, I believe what your word tells me. You're like, well, boy, I believe what God's word says, but right now it doesn't look very good. Okay, that's all right. We can still believe God's word. Uh, There's been times when I've said to God, God, I know you're a good God, but right now it doesn't look like it. I've said that to him. You're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Can I I tell you God's okay with us talking like that to him? Read the book of Psalms. You know, one-third to one-half of the book of Psalms are what's called lament psalms. And a lot of those psalms, if we were to put it into modern-day language, it'd be like this. What are you doing, God? <laughs> like, are, are you serious? How long are you going to keep this up? that That's what happens. And sometimes it appears that way. And yet I know that God's a good God. And I have to rest in that. I, I, quick story. Our third daughter has had problems with getting pregnant. Um, they currently are working through a fostering to adopt. They have three little girls. It looks like God's paving the road. We'd love for that adoption to be done by Christmas, and it may be. We'll see how all that works out. But after years of trying and trying and trying, she finally got pregnant. And I remember the phone call. She sat down and said, Daddy, guess what? God's given us a baby. And they said, We're going to wait till Christmas and announce to the world. And so on Christmas Day, they published, God's finally given us a baby. And a week later, God took it. Now, can I tell you in that moment, it seemed like God was cruel. That's what it seemed like to me as her daddy. I'm like, you didn't have to give her that. You could have just not given it at all but you gave it and took it away and god that that looks cruel to me but then i said this but you're not cruel you're a good god and i don't know what all you're doing but i'm going to rest in that goodness though currently that's not what i feel you understand that you can't run life on what you feel you have to run it on what god says but there are times when whew, man i don't feel like it <laughs> But what is God's word saying? If not, we become enslaved to that which wants to destroy us. We could expand this and talk about other aspects. We won't take the time to do that this morning. Let let me say this, and then we'll close for today, okay? Tonight, Lord willing, we're going to look at our heart, what our heart plays in the role of this. We know that we have a wicked heart. Right? Because the the Bible tells us that. But how does that play a role in what's taking place? Now, this is just a a, a quick illustration to talk about how sin starts and the entanglement that can eventually happen. And all of us are subject to them. My grandfather, who I love dearly, has been dead now for quite a while. uh, Probably close to 30 years. My grandfather smoked cigarettes like crazy. And this is what he said to us. He said to me, all, I don't know how many times my grandfather said to me, I can put this down anytime I want to. But what happened was my grandfather never could put that down because he was enslaved to it. It started not as an enslavement, but that's what it ended up being. He got throat cancer. And the doctor said to him, look, we can treat this with chemo and other things, but this particular kind of chemo, and I don't understand all the medical things of it, but this particular kind of chemo, if you're going to keep smoking, it will accelerate the cancer, not kill it. So if you're going to keep smoking, then we won't do the chemo. And he's like, oh, I can quit anytime you want to. So they started the chemo. You want to guess what happened? My grandfather kept smoking. And it ultimately took his life. I love my grandfather dearly. I preached his was one of the hardest funerals I've ever preached. But I'm going to tell you what my grandfather did. He was so weak, he could. my brother and I had to sit him up in the bed the last time I saw him. And probably, I don't remember, it was less than a day after I saw him that last time. He pulled the IVs out of his arm, walked to his chair, which was incredible that he could do that sat in his chair. That was his favorite place to sit. My mom, all of her siblings, and my grandmother were there. He looked every one of them in the eye as if to say goodbye. Took a puff of a cigarette and went into eternity. It's the last thing he did. Now, I'm not telling you that to jerk your chain. What I'm telling you is Satan never says you're going to be enslaved by this. But that's exactly where he hopes you'll end up. In every way, shape, and form. Now, lest you think that I have it all together, can I tell you what one of my designer lusts is? It's food. It's what it is. And it took me years to figure out that I was eating just like somebody else takes drugs or alcohol to ease the pain, or to deal with the emotional trauma. I'd make a hospital visit as a pastor, and I was dealing with someone who had just got maybe a cancer diagnosis where there was no hope for them, and man, it just kills me. I love them, and I don't want this to happen. And the family's tore up, and I I walk out of the hospital, I feel like an emotional wreck. And I'd walk out of the hospital, my first thought was, I need something to eat. Now, is it wrong to eat? Nope, but that's not what I was doing. I was medicating my emotions with food. And that becomes a problem. Ouch. And I was like, are you serious, God? So here's what I started doing. This has been in the last year. I've started calling it an idol. So when I get up in the mornings, this is what I pray. God, would you help me not to bow down to the idol of food today? You're like, hmm, that's pretty drastic. Yep. Because most of us don't want to call what we're really doing an idol. But when you do it over and over again, that's what it is. It's an idol. Now, is it wrong to eat? Again, it's not wrong to eat, but what am I seeking for it? Is it my idol? By the way, that's not my only idol I pray about. But the rest of them are none of your business. (laughs) Right? Just like you're not going to stand up here and tell me all your idols either, right? Look, so, so James says, "Look, when we sin, okay, we're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. But don't forget that when sin conceives, okay, when it happens, it's going to ultimately bring death. And that may look like all kinds of ways. The Word of God talks about the entanglement. Okay, identify it. Once you identify it, then we apply scriptural verses to it." What does God's word say about these things? Once I apply the word of God, then my thinking and God's word's thinking needs to match. If my thinking disagrees with God's word, guess who's true? God's word is, right? So I bring my thinking in line with his. That's what that's how we get victory over sin, over and over and over again, and it will happen all the time. You know happen all I'm not an anxious person by nature. But I had some things happen last week, and I'm telling you, I almost had a full-on panic attack. Do you know what I did? Applied Scripture. What does God's Word say? God's Word says this. God says He didn't give us a spirit of fear. God says that He's in complete control. God says, da-da-da, I mean, we go on through that. Because why? Because I want my thinking to match up with God's Word. Okay? I hope that's helpful to you. If I can help you in a way to, to work through a little bit, but if you will apply this consistently, it may take you time to work through it. It may take you some time to figure out exactly what your designer lust is. is. You probably have a good idea even if you're not conscious of it yet. It's your go-to thing all the time. I know this was more of a teaching type of thing, but can I just beg you? Jesus Christ wants to give you the victory. Not just in salvation, but everyday living that you don't have to succumb to sin. If you believe the thought that I've always done this sin and I'm going to always do that sin, that is not what God wants for you. He's given you the victory, and I guarantee you, He will give it if you apply the Word of God to your heart and life. Father, thank you for your Word. We so desperately need it. I need it every day. I need your Word to help me. And so we ask these dear people, would you help them to respond as you want them to, to the truth of your Word? We love you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Can I just challenge you to allow God's Word to speak to you? And I'm going to turn it over to Brother Rick.